Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore humanity. The Flatwoods Monster is an interesting UFO incident that was covered by filmmaker Seth Breedlove and his small-town monsters, which looks into the paranormal. We go through this interesting case, as it's still being talked about to this day, about a small rural U.S. town. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Flatwoods Monster, which has grown from a UFO incident into a full-blown urban legend. Trying to separate fact from fiction is filmmaker Seth Breedlove, whose small-town monsters documents these types of unusual events across the U.S. Here is our full conversation about this documentary. Really interested about this documentary that you made about the Flatwoods Monster. Kind of take us, first of all, to the legend itself or 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 the incident itself yeah um the the flatwoods monster event is like something i've I've been very interested in since I was a kid actually but and by kid, I mean probably my late teens I think that was the first time I really heard about it mm-hmm. but the the story is very compared to some of the other stories we've told, like the the mothman and you know the boggy creek monster those are very large sort of regional tales of, you know, these unknown creatures or whatever that are seen usually for weeks or months or even years at a time. And and this is very different from that. It it really just centers around one or two nights uh, back in 1952, September of 1952. Mm. uh, There there were five kids playing football on a, a little football field down in this valley, which in the middle of this we're in the middle of West Virginia here, so it's kind of classic, um, <clears throat> you know, the hills and hollers and yeah. that sort of thing. And and Flatwood sits in a in a little holler kind of. Uh, so it's down in this little valley, and it's ringed around by all these mountains. And these kids are playing football, and they notice this strange sort of odd objects going across the sky, very slow actually. In fact, that was what caught their eye. It didn't necessarily seem like a, you know, like a classic sort of uh, meteor or anything like that. It seemed mm. very odd to them that it was it was going so slow across the sky. And it also seemed to be uh, glowing. It wasn't necessarily on fire, but something seemed off about it, obviously. I mean, considering it was an unknown craft stringing across the sky. But it comes to land at the top of this hill um, right above the the football field they're on. Mm-hmm. It, it's maybe a quarter of a mile from where they are, but they can clearly see it land on the top of this hill. Okay. So so they decide they're going to walk up to the top of this hill and, and find this whatever landed. On the way up the hill, uh, they stop at their house because their house is right on the way up to the mm-hmm. top of this hill. And they pick up two of the boys' mom and another boy named Gene Levin, who was 17 at the time. Um, and was in the National Guard. And the, huh? the seven of them start up this hill, uh, to find this object that's landed at the top of the hill. As they get up close to the object, uh, two of them, the mother and the, the National Guardsman, Gene Lemon, they do see something glowing down off the side of the hill that they think might be the object. But before they can really do any investigation, they hear something behind them. Mm. They turn, uh, one of the boys puts his flashlight on whatever made the noise, and what they see standing in front of them is, is basically a 13-foot-tall, some sort of mechanical being or, you know, 
robot, whatever you want to think mm. of this thing as. It, it, one of the witnesses described it as looking like a V2 rocket. Mm. Um, but the, the thing is actually hovering um, in the air. It's sitting just above the ground. Wow. And um, as they all start screaming and falling over themselves, the thing actually starts to come toward them. Mm. As I said, this is a really basic, small-scale story. And, and what I've just described to you is the bulk of what took place. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, it's, it's nothing... Uh, like the moth man and, and the fact that it's such a one night sort of event. Now we do have other encounters around the area that have taken place. One of them is fairly well known. Um, it took place the next night. Um, but we actually do have another encounter that seems to have taken place possibly two weeks prior oh. uh, to the kind of classic Flatwoods monster story. But that's, that is the, the quick and dirty version of the, the mm-hmm. Braxton County monster tale. Mm-hmm. So, as a filmmaker, how did you, I mean, it's, a lot of time has passed since 52, so how did you approach to tell, you know, the story of this incident? I've been asked about this story and whether or not we would ever make one of our movies about it for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always, I've always said no because so many of the original witnesses have died. In fact, yeah. the, the two we interviewed, Ed and Fred May, they are the only known living members of the party that were there that night. There's one other person that might still be around, but we can't mm-hmm. seem to locate anyone related to him or find any evidence he's still left. There might be one more. But as of right now, the only two remaining seem to be Ed and Fred May. Um, and obviously they were brothers. Um, but they... Basically, I originally said this was going to be a very short movie, which I seems to be my sirens call every single time we make a movie I'm <laughs> and it's going to be some sort of short film and then it turns into something else but on this one I was convinced um, it w- would be about 20 minutes long and we would simply interview a few of the local people in um, Flatwoods about you know the impact the event had on the community but what I came to find out was that the guy that ran the or runs the tourism bureau for Braxton County lives next door to Fred May. Oh. Um, now, now, Fred May doesn't actually live in this house anymore, but he's there occasionally. So mm. we showed up in town to film last July uh, for the first time interviews and such. And when we showed up, uh, it just so happened that we were there on one of the days where Fred was going to be at the house. So I had oh. the tourism director, uh, Andrew Smith, take us over to Fred's house and I ended up talking to Fred for about two hours while the the rest of my guys sat in a hot car in the Mm -hmm. middle of the July heat. But I I sat and talked to Fred for about two hours and I did get him to say he would do an interview. We didn't do it that day, but he did say he would. Okay. Um, And I spent the next three months trying to convince him of that interview and then eventually... Mm -hmm. Um, he did come around. We went to shoot the interview. When we showed up to shoot the interview, his brother Ed happened to be there as well. Oh, wow. And um, Ed has never spoken about this. Fred's spoken about it multiple times, but Ed never has. But I managed to convince Ed to do it after about probably five seconds of talking to him. He just said yes almost immediately. So okay. we, we lucked out. So we do have two of the original witnesses, and then we have audio taped interview with Ivan T. Sanderson, who investigated the event immediately mm-hmm. after it occurred. So there's plenty of information relating to the event that hasn't been heard before in the film, as well as, you know, a lot of the stuff that's out there. Our movie's really about how 
such a small scale sort of event becomes this massive legend. Over yeah. Time. As witnesses, did you just your impression shooting them and interviewing them? Did they seem credible to you, or 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 were they just kind of spinning a tale? Oh no. Um, yeah, Ed Ed and Fred May are the two most believable witnesses I've ever spoken to. Really? Um, and I've probably I've probably talked to thirty, forty people by now. You know, working on these films and talking on, you know, talking to people at events and stuff. It's it's I've, I've talked to a, a large number of people, but these Ed and Fred are the two most believable people I've ever spoken to. Now, what they saw that night, they'll tell you right up front. They don't know what they saw. They they do know that what the story has sort of become over time is is not at all you know what they uh, what they saw that what they saw was very much some sort of mechanical being you know um rather than some uh, if you look at the folklore the folk tales or the sort of pop culture um you know representation of the creature now it's, it's this cloaked figure you know, mm-hmm. sort of an ace of spades head, yes, and all this kind of thing, and that's that's not necessarily what they saw. What they saw was like, like Ed said, it it looked like a a V two rocket. Mm. So essentially, just to get the timeline right, it came towards them, and then what what happened? Did it just vanish? Or it, no, it came toward when it came toward them, they turned and and fled back okay. down the hill. Okay. Um, yeah, and when, once they got back down the hill. Um, the, the situation sort of evolved from there because once they were back down the hill, depending on who you talk to, um, Ed and Fred, Ed and Fred refute this, but their mother has claimed it all her life that they got violently ill, had to be taken to the, to the doctor because everyone was breathing in the strange mist that was in the air on mm. top of the hill that night. Mm-hmm. Now, Ed and Fred don't remember any of that. So, right. so again, it becomes a thing of, well, this just been overblown over the years or did it actually happen? But after that, shortly after that, uh, the National Guard arrived and investigated the crash site and uh, some more suspicious sort of things took place involving the, the government after that. Oh, that's interesting. So I guess if there was any physical evidence, it probably doesn't exist at this point. Right, or it's hidden away. There was physical evidence removed. In fact, the the he would have been a colonel at the time. Um, he he did. His name was Levitt, Colonel Levitt. He did remove evidence, um, pieces of the tree where the creature was first seen, uh, this strange oily substance that was found on the ground. Mm. I believe there were photos taken of skid marks that were on top of the hill as well. Mm. Um, and all of that was sent off to the to the Air Force. Uh, for examination, and uh, no one ever heard back. You know anything after that? Was there a, an Air Force base nearby that was fairly close? I would think for Flatwoods, you're going to to Wright Patterson, um, you know, in in Ohio or you know something like that would probably be the closest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toledo, the Toledo area is your closest Air Force base. There's more with Seth Breedlove talking about the Flatwoods monster in a moment. Well, you know, Wright. Patterson allegedly has a very deep uh, UFO history, which is sure. A, yeah, it's, it's yeah, a, definitely. So uh, that would be interesting if that was the one. <laughs> that really be, would be interesting. Well, uh, in 1952 as well is a is a very sort of important year uh, in ufology for, for multiple reasons, not just the fact that there were mm-hmm. this this incident occurred, but also because this is sort of the year where 
UFOs and aliens start to break out in into pop culture. So right. you've got movies like Invaders from Mars mm-hmm. starting to screen and things like that. Um, the Day the Earth Stood Still comes out. Yeah. I, I believe that was 52 or 51. 51, yeah. It was a year before. Yeah. 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 So you've got, it's definitely starting to enter the public consciousness at that point. And, and, but also, I mean, there was, there were major sightings that took place around, mm-hmm. uh, West Virginia and Pennsylvania during that time as well. And there was an outbreak of sightings all over the area. Yeah. And then during, during the making of this film, we came to find out that people that live in the hills around there, have had strange activity pretty much all their lives. I mean, the people that live down there had, it's always been kind of a strange place. Those, those backwoods of West Virginia and not just because of locals running you out of the woods because you found their still. Mm. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's very strange stories and we recorded some of those for the film. It, it sounds like it's the, the original story has kind of morphed into an urban legend. And I mean, in your film, there's even the, Welcome to Flatwoods, home of the monster, you know, the green monster kind of thing. So it, it sounds like it's become part of the town's culture and taken a life of its own. Yeah, definitely. In fact, like I, th- I think in more ways than almost any other film we've made about these subjects, this this is the one where you can clearly see where reality sort of deviates off into this modern myth. Sort yeah. Of thing. Um, and and that's kind of what the whole gist of this film is about is is how these tales or these stories become tales. I guess re- real events can become tales. Now, what again, what they saw on that hill that night, I don't know. I don't personally subscribe to the owl theory. I think the idea that they saw an owl that night is absurd, especially once you talk to the witnesses and, and hear their, their version of what happened. It just, mm. The fact that it could be an owl doesn't seem remotely possible to me. But, um, I don't, I don't think it was some sort of creature either, like a bio, you know, like, like a, a I, I think whatever they saw that night was mechanical. It was something mechanical. It could have been an experimental rocket or something. That could be. That could very well be. There could be a very reasonable explanation for it, but from your, their description, it didn't seem like it was, uh, I guess man-made though, or, or, or was it? It depends on who you talk to that was there. It, of the two brothers, Ed, very much believes that what they saw was some sort of man-made mechanical thing. Huh. Um, Fred sort of subscribes more to the... I, th- I get the impression anyway. I don't want to speak for him, but I think he, he subscribes more to the, some sort of alien craft or something like that mm. um, theory. And he believes what they saw that night was a sentinel, that there were more of them there around the area and even on top of the hill, and that what they encountered was just one of many. Mm. Um, and And there are things that happened that night that would back up his, you know, his theory anyway. There were, there were crafting all over Braxton County that night. In fact, something else crashed, uh, maybe five miles away. Something else crashed into the woods above the Elk River, mm. um, down that way. In fact, when the, when the call went out to the police to come investigate the Flatwoods Monster event, he wasn't, the, the sheriff wasn't in the office because he was down along the Elk River mm-hmm. uh, investigating a purported air, airplane crash, but there was no airplane. They never uncovered, they never found anything during that investigation, but multiple people um, called in uh, what they thought was an airplane crash in the hills along the Elk River, just a few miles away from the mm-hmm. Flatwoods Monster location. Interesting. Now, in my research, I heard that there was actually, or 
maybe it's already out or hasn't been out yet, a, a film based on this event. But that's a uh, like a, a Hollywood version of this event. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. It did seem I I think I found the same information you did. There was there was a, a an attempt at a film being made just this past year, um, but it looked to me like their funding fell through. So that film was never made. There is another independent movie being made that seems like some sort of combination of of documentary and, and heavily heavily, you know, horror-themed sort of organization oh, okay. that's being made as well. So, as for any sort of major mainstream Hollywood movie, I'm not aware of any, but I think there should be. I mm-hmm. wish there had been one made back in, like, 1957, because mm-hmm. it, be, it would be incredible. <laughs> the now, gray Harry House and doing the effect. Yeah. Now, uh, I know you've done, you know, something on uh, the Mothman uh, film. Have you seen the film with Richard Gere? Yeah, that that I I often credit that movie too as my sort of introduction to the paranormal, um, and it's it's one of my favorite movies actually. It's a movie I really love, and I I saw it multiple times in theaters. Oh, cool! Obviously, based on the subject matter of the films you've done in the past, these kind of things fascinate you. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I I've been into this for for quite a few years now and and I never really get sick of it it's not something I my interest wanes and I'm, I'm I, I tend to stay engaged and sort of fascinated by the subjects uh, originally I think I was much more into like the Bigfoot stories and then over mm. time I've kind of gravitated more towards the UFO and, and strange creatures like this the paranormal sort of things mm-hmm. but um yeah there's there's a lot to this that that you know keeps me interested you you're Small Monsters Company has kind of uh, kind of been built to investigate these things. Sure, yeah, yeah, and I don't. We we we've continued to expand in the past few years. Um, this year, we're adding a, a, a sort of epic episodic miniseries to our roster of projects that are coming out in 2018. Um, so we're we're trying to continue, you know, finding new ways to tell the stories and, and it, I guess in in a way investigate them. Um, although it, more than anything for us, it's it's simply about capturing history in a bottle, in yeah. A way, you know, and, and letting witnesses and such tell their stories. Yeah, absolutely. So the you're you're still editing this particular film? I'm literally editing it right now. When you called, yeah, we <laughs> never. I don't think we've ever been this close to our deadline. Um, but we we also don't have a distributor in place for this one, so I feel less, I guess, under the gun to have this you know, finished by any specific time. It's a shorter film. I think the runtime's going to be right around 45 minutes. Um, so for us, I, I've been editing since uh, last September is when I really started editing. But we've been working on this movie since last July. So for us, our, our turnover time on, on films is very quick. Um, the Mothman of Point Pleasant was made in, in about five or six months tops. Mm. And the last film we did, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, the production time on that was only probably about five months. So we, we typically don't work on movies for, you know, eight, nine months, which is what we're approaching with this one. But it's also one where I feel very passionate about trying to make it as good as possible. And, and we're trying to kind of embrace that, like, 1950s yeah. sci-fi movie aesthetic as well. So there's a scene that's, that's very much a nod to, like, Ray Harryhausen movies in the past with green screens and people driving in cars on the green screen. You know, yeah. Kind of very drive-in movie sort of aesthetic to, to certain scenes of the movie. 
Oh, cool. That that sounds interesting. Uh, so, as far as the funding for this, uh, how did you get the funding for it? We do a Kickstarter each year. Nice. Um, usually right at the beginning of the year. So, this our Kickstarter actually just launched last Thursday, so one week ago today. And it was fully funded by the next morning. Wow. Um, so, we were... We looked out. Okay, yeah, we have a really uh, enthusiastic and energetic fan base that, that supports us. And and so, yeah, the, the Kickstarter launched on Thursday night around 7 o'clock, and by by 3 a.m. was fully funded. Wow. That's so amazing. We, um, I think we're up to 30000 We We were we set a really low goal of 20000 which was still 10000 more than our highest goal prior to this, but... The goal was twenty thousand. We had twenty thousand by the next morning. So now we're just kind of getting together all the all the pieces of really pushing the the marketing of the film and things like that. Yeah, that's awesome. That that's great. It, it's really an amazing way these days for filmmakers to get their projects done that didn't even exist maybe even ten years ago. We couldn't, as a company, we could not exist ten years ago. Yeah, um, because, yeah. because we're we're completely self sufficient. Um, at this point, we do have a distributor, a distributor for three of our movies, but but you know, once Flatwoods is out, it, it's going to be fifty-fifty, three self-distributed, three fully distributed films, um, and we, you know, the the bulk of our money is made completely independently. The money that actually supports what we do and, and allows us to continue making movies. So it's uh, as an independent filmmaker. Um, when yeah. I was a kid growing up, watching guys like Kevin Smith make movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, well, that that seems really cool that this guy can do that, but there's no way I would ever be able to do that because his budgets were still fifty thousand dollars to make clerks or whatever. Yeah, we made our our first movie was made for four hundred dollars. <laughs> um, so it's just where we're at now as a filmmaker. This is to me anyway. It seems to be the best time to make movies. Yeah, I think so too. I really think so. Well, I really want to thank you for talking to me about this project, and uh, so we're looking probably at April as a completion. Yeah, April 6th is the official release date, and uh, there's going to be a premiere in, in Sutton, West Virginia, at the Elk Theater. Oh, nice. So where can people where can people see this? Uh, it'll be available on uh, Amazon, for sure, opening weekend. So, so when it comes out on April 6th, it'll be on Amazon streaming. It'll be available on Vimeo On Demand and on DVD through shop.smalltownmonsters.com. Oh, there you go. That sounds great. Yeah, it's amazing what people can do nowadays. Uh, you know, just put in the uh, the hard work and, and and make the movie, and here it is. Boom. Right. Yeah, it's, it's great. Well, best of luck to you. Thank you for reaching out, and, and definitely keep in touch and let me know uh, how things uh, turn out. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Anytime, Seth. All right. Take care, buddy. Visit smalltownmonsters.com for more of their work. They even have a Kickstarter, so check it out. This is Tony Gelato. Thanks for listening.